Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews. This is episode 94. I'm Ryan. I'm joined by some other nerds. Carissa. Hey, uh. Matt. Hello. And Christina. Howdy. <laughs> the weekly barrage of comics and comic-related news can be pretty scary. So we're here to let you know what to check out and what to avoid. We read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them, as well as anything else that pops into the world of comics. There's a chance of spoilers, so if you're worried about them, take a break now and go read your week's books and pull list, and then come back. We'll be reviewing DC's House of Horror number one. The Despicable Deadpool number 288. Black Panther 166. Captain Marvel number 125. <sighs> the Commandy Challenge number 10. <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man number 790. Saga number 48. Fujitsu number 2. BPRD, the devil you know, number three. All right, and then on our new segment we're calling Pull, Pass, or Complain on the Internet, we've got Batman the Merciless, number one, and Jughead the Hunger, number one. This just in! Stop the presses! Okay, so we've all been hearing about Captain Marvel. I'm sorry, Shazam, because <laughs> fucking Shazam! Marvel. I love how you say that, Christina. <laughs> movie has been coming out here in a couple years. They finally cast... The main superhero character. It was a little funny, actually, when it first popped and the, the news started to get out there. They were actually saying that Zachary Levi, who has been cast as Captain Marvel, because fuck you people. His name is Captain Marvel Shazam. We named the wizard Shazam. Because <laughs> we didn't fucking name the hero Shazam until you assholes couldn't get it right. Anyway. So Zachary Look, Levi in in all honesty, cast. it's a little confusing that the DC character is named Captain Marvel. So cut people a little slack. <laughs> yes. Marvel should change. Nah. nah. Captain Marvel was first. Nah. I like saying Shazam! Yeah, Shazam is the best. <laughs> yes, and so does he to get his powers from the wizard. <laughs> they even changed the wizard's name. But anyway, Zachary Levi is playing him and he's going to get all buff and shit, but we still don't know who Billy Batson is. And I can't really picture Zachary Levi fighting the rock, so this will be fucking interesting. But people say that about <laughs> Chris Pratt as Star Lord, too. Yeah. So. Have you seen Chuck? Yes, I love that show. <laughs> yes. And I know, yes. We'll see. I hope it's Wait. Chuck versus The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> just that, not even like an actual movie, just... Just, seriously, just that. Chuck in a red shirt instead of a white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Every week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. And my pick of the week goes to DC House of Horror number one. Our companion song is Bad Moon Rising by Creedence Clearwater Revival because the song is kind of about a, a dark night that's coming up and trouble that's going to come. And I like the idea that one thing changing or being off can have all of these effects throughout it. And this book is really about taking the things that are familiar and twisting them and putting them through almost like a funhouse mirror of horror to end up where you end up. So I thought that it was a, a nice companion song to it. It's kind of a nice little spooky Halloween song without being one that's like the Monster Mash or something. So I thought this was going to be a good companion for it. So let's take a listen. I thought the Creedence would have gone well with Jughead. Yeah, the Creedence song would have been good with Jughead because, you know, a moon. But I, I looked throughout this entire book and I didn't see a bathroom on the right anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a Shazam story. Sorry. <laughs> there is a Shazam story in I here. Actually, I know. That was good. Yeah, there's a Shazam. Oh, it was I did so too. long. It's Howard Chicken. It, it is. Well, it's... Really it's it kept going. <laughs> like, well, like, and... I'm going to have to say all the names, so let me catch my breath here for a second. So we've got, from DC Comics, DC Comics House of Horrors, number one. We've got a bunch of stories, because this is an anthology. We have Bump in the Night, written by Edmund Lee. Pencils and Inks by Howard Porter. Colors by Hi-Fi. We have Blackest Day by Brian Keene. Pencils and Inks by Scott Collins. Colors by Rumula Farhada Jr. We also have Man's World, written by Mary San Giovanni. Pencils and Inks by Bill Quest Evely. And Colors by Hi-Fi. We have Stray Arrow, written by Ronald Malfi. Pencils and Inks by Dale Eaglesham. And Colors by Jer Jordan Boyd. We're not nearly done yet. We also have Crazy for You, written by Brian Smith and Brian Keene. 
2018, art by Kyle Baker. We have Unmasked, written by Rath James White, pencils and inks by Tom Rainey, colors by Gina Going Rainey. We have Last Laugh, written by Nick Cutter, pencils and inks by Rags Morales, colors by Lovern Kinjeric, probably butchered that last name. We have The Possession of Billy Batson, written by Weston Ochi, pencils and inks by Howard Chaikin, yay, and colors by Will Quintana. So like I said, this is an anthology book. It's really long, but it's really, really good. I mean, I picked it for my, my pick of the week for a reason. It's seriously like a call out to the classic, like, Tales of the Crypt Keeper EC comics. Yep. Yeah, it was awesome. Reminds me a lot of this old horror comic that I used to read. It was like this horrible Dracula comic. <laughs> Not horrible, but it was gory horrible. Yes. I love what if, but yeah. or things that seem to me like fan fiction or love letters to the mm-hmm. its origins. And so this is like the horror love letter to those to DC comics. Yeah. So comic books and superheroes weren't always synonymous. Before the comics code, the biggest genres for comics were actually westerns, romances, and horror stories. This book is an anthology series that twists the familiar DC characters into horror versions of what we're familiar with. Each of these stories perverts and corrupts the heroic into the horrific and gives disturbing psychological insights, delusions and madness, serial killers, zombies, ghosts, ghouls, goblins. It's pretty awesome. And other things that go bump in the night. This one felt a lot, like you said, Matt, like old EC comics and Tales from the Crypt, or particularly dark Twilight Zone episodes. It's a spooktacular companion to your Halloween. I was, when I first saw this, the reason I wasn't so keen on it before I read it is I thought it was going to be like Superman fights a ghost or Wonder Woman fights a werewolf or something like that, which wouldn't be actually be that scary, right? Wonder Woman fight a werewolf, I'd be down. But it, yeah, uh, yeah, but it wouldn't be scary. But this one, they take the DC characters and they make them into the source of horror. And I really liked it. You guys seem like you also enjoyed it. There was some that I liked, some that I didn't care for. I liked the um, the woman's world one, or the man's world. With uh, Wonder Woman being yes, like a that ghost was, that possesses people. That was my favorite yeah, one out one, of all of them. That one was awesome. And I liked the Harley one, too. I liked the Harley Quinn one. My, yeah, I did like the Harley Probably one. Probably my, my two favorites out of this. Me too. Uh, Go fig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, what, Last Laugh, I think, is the... The one yeah. you're talking about? Or, um, no, crazy for, crazy for you. Yeah. Crazy, it's crazy for you. Yeah. Last laugh was the, the, the Joker. The Shazam one. I liked that one favorite. too. They were all really good. I, I didn't like Blackest Day very much. Yeah. That one I could have cut out. That just seemed like horrific things were happening to the Justice League. Like they weren't the actual horror. Well, the Flash was a zombie and Batman was a zombie. Yeah, but they weren't twisted versions of themselves. It's not like Batman created a zombie virus or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. th- these are things that happen to them. No, he did other fucked up things. <laughs> yeah. But this one was good. I mean, like you said, I really liked Crazy for You. I liked Last Laugh. I liked the Possession of Billy Batson story. I thought those were all excellent stories. There's not one story in particular in here that I think that really shines over the rest of them, which is kind of why I was hesitating with my pick of the week between two books. But I think this one is the best fit for the Halloween season. Yeah, this was, I mean, it, it captures the art and the storytelling of, like we were saying, the EC Tales from the Crypt. And even, I find it funny that they called it House of Horror because DC already has two House of Books, the House of Secrets and the House of Mystery, which are where Cain and Abler from, did these stories basically to be an EC thing. So that, you know, they've added this third one and it was, fuck, there are moments in this, most of the moments in this are really, really fucked up. Like, yes. This, I'm like, this is a DC book. That's <laughs> what I really liked about it is it went dark, dark yeah. really dark, you know, because that what it wasn't the, you know, familiar DC characters in, you know, after school special scary edition well, <laughs> stories. <what> <laughs> These were fucked up. Well, that's what makes me wonder if they learned from the Jughead and the Archies After Dark, all those ones with like, and Sabrina, because... The Sabrina is so good. Those, by nature, are super lighthearted, and they went dark. And so I almost wish they would have used DC After Dark instead, and kept in with that theme and kind of tied them together, because I feel like they kind of had that same vibe. I agree with you. I think that, that they probably saw the su- success of that, because that essentially is what relaunched Archie Comics. And started the Riverdale show, because it is clearly inspired by the Dark yes. Archie comics. And I also really enjoyed the the Howard Chaikin art that we got in here. Whenever we get his art, it always makes me pretty happy. Like, nothing quite looks like his art. You know you're reading a Chaikin story. Like, I didn't read the, the credit page on that story until I was about, like, two pages into it. I'm like, this is Howard Chaikin. <laughs> and I went back and looked, and I'm like, yep. You had to get two pages in? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, Chaikin! Yeah, I was like, it was... 
the first page. <laughs> like, so, you know what, though? Well, I wasn't sure if it was in the style of or if it was actually oh. him, you know? If you want to see Howard Chaykin that doesn't look anything like fucking Howard Chaykin at all, go read the original Marvel Star Wars book. Howard Chaykin did that book, and it looks fucking... It was so before his style, it doesn't look anything like him. It's mm. like Howie Chaykin. I, I literally <laughs> think it's credited to Howie Chaykin. But I also think the uh, the Crazy For You story with Harley Quinn was really very, very good. That was probably one of my favorites. I think Last Laugh was probably my actual favorite one, where Batman and the Joker are essentially the same person who's deranged, and then the Joker kind of asserts himself. It's pretty good. I really like that one. My favorite would probably be the possession of Billy Batson, because it's just, it's like a portrait of a man going insane, maybe. Yeah. I like that one, too. Harley's my favorite. It, it's re, it's my style of Harley, which makes me happy. <laughs> I don't like the new Harley. You know, I don't like, I don't care for the new Harley Quinn. This this is the Harley Quinn that I know and love. I don't need the booty shorts. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just take the blood-drenched horror of... Yep. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> I will give it for... Ooh, I love games. You motherfucker. <laughs> Damn it. I you took, asshole! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Harley's great. Harley. Oh, I, okay. I four and a half. I don't deal with rejection. Fuck! I have to come up with something else now. <laughs> I'll give it four and a half. Say it, and I'll never ask it you again. I won't need to. We'll be together forever. Shazam! <laughs> and I'll put some lightning Shazam. in there. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that happens. All right, uh, I found something else. God damn you, Ryan. <laughs> I will give it um, three and a half a uh, kiss and make it better. Mwah. There you go. Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, over to Marvel Legacy. All righty. We have from Marvel Comics, the Despicable Deadpool, number 288. Deadpool Kills Cable, part two, waiting for cable installation. Written by Jerry Duggan, pencils and inks by Scott Koblish, and colors by Nick Filardo. Lardy. Um. It's Filardi. No O? <laughs> nope. All right. That's Ryan special. Okay, it's Ryan special. <laughs> this is more, I would almost argue this is more of a Cable-like comic, but we have Cable waiting and basically knowing exactly what Deadpool's going to do. Deadpool, for some reason, again, wants to kill C- Cable. You know, Everyone. Like Strife hired him, too. Like everyone. Strife hired him, too. But still, it's like their thing, you know, is my point. So there's just lots of them setting up in the timetable. Interesting point, you'll notice that uh, Deadpool has Cable's arm, which is kind of made for hilarity and it's just yeah building up to them one being in jail the other one waiting his bite in his time for them to have a fight they have a fight and you know a lot of fighting a lot of blood does a lot of blood a <laughs> lot of shooting and the it and it continues because deadpool doesn't really die so <laughs> it just kind of goes that is basically the gist of it <laughs> it is a deadpool comic <laughs> yeah i personally thought it, it was funny it was cute it was it is very jerry duggan to me my son i mean there's not much more to say to it than that i thought christina would like the cute poop emojis that happen when uh, the poop emoji that's my favorite page <laughs> yes other than that when she yes <laughs> i hope they keep it like this i was i really did not like this <laughs> I, I see i was worried that when they said that deadpool's gonna go back to being a villain that he was gonna go all like creepy villainy zany no like like actual villain like he gets bitter or something and it was just gonna be dark and life and i just wanted to be a goofball i don't care who he's shooting at i'm like if he shoots at good guys he shoots at bad guys you just it's deadpool just shoot. causing havoc that's <laughs> that's all i want out of deadpool yeah. there was a couple of like funny things here like the time travel and like the use kang as a curse word <laughs> i like when they give bell a little panel time this is a piece of shit i didn't like it <laughs> I, I, I was not that in, intrigued by it either. It was kind of like, just get through it. Just get through it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> well, that's why I was saying it's just a typical Deadpool comic. Well... Really. I mean, there are parts that were cute. I think this is a serious downgrade from Deadpool that we've received before. This lacks all sense of enjoyment, fun, yes, whimsy. That's only a section of... Uh, we've only covered a very small section of all over Deadpool comics. Yeah, well, this section reeks of shit. I don't like it. Oh, come on. There's the scene where Cable takes control of the arm again, and then yes. causes Deadpool to punch himself right square mm. in the nards. That is... That that happens to be, I think, the best part. <laughs> I'm going to go with the poop emojis. And the, that it's was actually <laughs> chocolate soft serve. That was the Super Mario part. <laughs> it's chocolate. Just, like, just that she blares him up into emojis is funny. Yeah, that, that was pretty funny. And he's just like, Boucher, he saved me. Yeah, that yeah. was, that was, pro- that, that 
alone was fine, but no, that it just. I think if you like <laughs> Deadpool or you like Cable, you'll probably enjoy this. But just I don't think it has enough for people who are not fans of either one of those things. That's fair. Well, I had you made me pick one, so I had to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the previous run of Deadpool. I think anyone. I think it was just objectively good, and this is not i don't think it's horrific i don't, I don't think it's the worst thing i've ever read but no. okay but that you need to downgrade your level of vitriol then <laughs> no but there's sometimes I, I i get what ryan's saying sometimes there's just like you're like just no you just want to put it down you're like no no yes thank that you. was the commandy book no, thank you <laughs> uh no, yeah seriously. sharks oh, with yeah. guns no, mohawks i'm done fucking with that awesome fucking series i don't want to <laughs> we'll, get there. we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there your hate spilling from one to the other okay <laughs> So I'm going to rate this. I gave it two and three quarters magic words because it's a little bit more than half in the middle round. I love the magic words. (laughs) I will give it two. This is sad now. I'm giving it two poop emojis. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why not? (laughs) Sweet. All right. I'm going to give it three and a half. Oh, you'll be missing more than that, I'm afraid. All All right. More legacy. From Marvel Comics, Black Panther, issue 166, Claw Sand Supreme, part one, Adventures of the New World, part seven, written by Tanisi Coates, pencils by Leonard Kirk, inks by Leonard Kirk, and Mark Daring, colors by Laura Martin. So this is a, kind of a, I've had some issues with some of the Black Panther books because they're very, very, very confusing. This one isn't so confusing, but it's a story of Claw, which I don't care about. <laughs> so the most interesting part of this whole story is, I guess it's his, his sister. They never actually say, but I believe it's his sister, yeah. it's her it's sister, Julia. It opens up where he's hugging a woman in an asylum. And it's this whole book is basically like his inner dialogue. And it, it's talking about his sister, who's just kind of standing there looking off into nothing, obviously not giving any sort of expression. And he's saying, you know, I'm there's I think about you every every single day, you know, you never evade my mind, you know, and he's talking about how like they cut the voices out of out of your head, which is kind of horrifying. The rest of it, the rest of the story, I, I don't care about, honestly. There's some explosions like it was not very, very interesting. The most interesting part of this is about his to me is his childhood. He and his sister talks about his sister like she hears voices in her head. And his father is obviously a very like staunch, you know, man who is not going to put up with any kind of shit and nobody would stand up to him at all. And even his mom didn't say anything. And they end up actually giving her a lobotomy. And she's never the same person ever, ever again. And it kind of seems like his whole story is just about like, I guess almost like avenging her life in a way. Like he's everything that he's doing. He's trying to basically bring her, you know, bring her back. He's, He's searching for a way to fix her. That was kind of what all I got out of this. The other stuff I did. It seems care. to be that they're trying to <laughs> Mr. Freeze him. To yeah. give him the tragic I, motivation. I got that exact same thing with that last panel where that you see her in the glass i was like that's totally because basically mr freeze was like this who the fuck's that guy character from like the i mean he was in the comics but he was mostly a character from the 60s tv show and then the animated series did uh, one of the most classic fucking stories of all time yeah and then all of a sudden i love all of a sudden he's the bad guy in in one of the fucking movies not a good movie yeah he became like a legit bad guy Uh, and i was like oh yeah that's it but he doesn't matter. He's the pink dude. Kinda. <laughs> That's why I thought this was really weird. I was like, is this ever been his backstory? Claw's backstory? I don't think this I think these are new details we're getting. I don't think Claw's ever him. had a backstory. Yeah, I mean Claw what? has always been a major Black Panther villain. Yeah, but... he, he's the Black yeah, Panther. But that's why I was like Lex Luthor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, this was it. This the part of the story was interesting. The other stuff I didn't really care about. I kept thinking about the cum thing we Matt brought up last time about the vibranium and all this stuff. <laughs> that, that's, right, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing I was reading through because there were called, there was some uh, something else the reverbium, which is like the man-made stuff. Right. And I, then I just I just only descended into me thinking about the cum story. I guess. <laughs> I think the problem with this, you can tell right from the title of the individual story, which is Clawstand Supreme Part 1 and Avengers of the New World Part 7. Like, this is not a legacy book. This is Tani Seacoat saying, fuck you, I'm still telling my story, and I'm not doing a legacy thing. Because this is not starting you over, this is not reintroducing you to Black Panther, this is Part 7 of an ongoing story. And it's not a bad part of an ongoing story, but I don't think it fulfills what legacy should do. What do you think of it, Carissa? didn't really capture my interest though i do appreciate the creators fighting the man going i do what i want <laughs> because you know i 
you know, I, I enjoy that. It kind of reminds me of Dennis Hopeless doing Doctor Strange and be like, oh, just because Avengers Jessica Part 2. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought the part with Qua kind of being the voice in his sister's head got taken out, so now he's the voice in everyone's head. I thought that was an interesting little parallel. I mean, I felt for the character. I think they did a good job of establishing yeah. depth to him and interest to him. But this is clearly part of an ongoing story and not a reset. So it works as a as a comic, but not really as part of the legacy thing that it's supposed it to be doing. It feels like... I do like the artwork. Hey, you got this movie coming out in two months. You need to care about the bad guy. Here's his backstory. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Obviously. I, like, I, I do that, yep. Yeah, I was like, that's... In, but in the movies, he's totally different, I assume, as well. But pink. we'll see. I don't know. It was just... <laughs> Which, yeah. Yeah. Well, he hasn't become Claw no, yet. No, he's got know? it. In the he hasn't movie. had the sound. Th- you can see the sonic disruptor in the movie. His hand basically separates. He does have the sonic thing in the yeah, but he's not wearing a special outfit. But I hope he doesn't wear. Well, oh, he doesn't wear an outfit. Like That's him. Okay, he became sound. He's inside. He's the pure sonic. Yeah. Thing. Oh, is he? Oh, and he made shorts like that. <laughs> That's his. <laughs> That's his best self. That's how he actualizes his no, no. body. Like, That's what you did. You made some bikini shorts. <laughs> hey. He's finally able to be honest with himself, I think. True, okay. His fashion choices. (laughs) All right, I won't judge then. You do you. He's like, like, I thought it worked for the vision, so, you know. We don't have a nose anymore, but whatever. (laughs) For the claw part, I thought that was good. It's not great, but it's decent. I'm going to go ahead and give it three and a quarter voices cut out of your head. That was very visceral and nasty and it was funny because I, I couldn't remember the word lobotomy earlier and I'm all, I asked my husband I'm all, what's that thing where they cut pieces of your brain out <laughs> he's all you mean lobotomy I'm like yeah that one thank you and he just looked at me and walked away <laughs> he had no oh, idea man, what I was I doing <laughs> I love moments like that because they are funny in gotta keep the husband on the toes <laughs> Alright, what else? Who's, who's next? I'll, I'll give it three and a half. He was a man of mean vision and abundant wrath. I'm gonna give it two and a half. I could not save you from his small mind. You could just give him two and a half booty shorts. Cause... <laughs> two and a half booty shorts! Okay, sure. I will give it three and a half. Do you know these degraded ones call me, Julia? They call me God. <laughs> yeah, those are, there was a couple of really strong lines like that in here that yeah. I, I appreciated. That part was strong. Uh-huh. All right. Away from legacy. Away from legacy. Over to Away from strong things. A giant shit show. <laughs> we've got from DC Comics. We've got the Commodity Challenge number ten. Mother May I, written by Greg Pak, pencils by Shane Davis, and inks by Michael Delecki, and colors by Hi-Fi. You sound so enthused about this one, sir. Oh fuck! I hate this book. <laughs> so Commodities. <laughs> So on the running, confused so after fighting with weird, uh, no, no, he was in some weird shit, and uh, then he got out of the weird shit. He, he was in the Teenage Mutant yeah, Ninja Turtle the, cave that they the, kept dragging the him out of. Turtle cave. God, I remember uh, with that a bunch now. of so mutated animals and confused, and then we I'm PTSD from the switched book. over to another place where he's still confused. And still on the run from thing, but now there's a new thing that he has to be worried about, and he's on the run from that thing. And then he runs across some more mutated animals, and then they, uh, the stuff at the beginning and, and from the previous book loosely ties to the beginning of this book. And then, uh, there's stuff at the end of this book that will loosely tie to the next book, where it will change over to something else with some more mutated animals. Uh, there are sharks with fucking arms and guns. And, uh, kinda, sorta origin story. And some genocide uh. with the fucked up uh, animal creatures. And then uh, Kamandi gets shocked at the end, like like mentally shocked. And then somebody dies. Buy it if you want. I fucking... I don't like this. I'm so tired of this series. I think this series has its ups and downs. I think this one the was a lot of fun. The longer it goes on, the more down it is. Oh, there's only two more issues left. Thank God. <laughs> oh, God. I literally skipped most of it because I could not handle those damn sharks. They were drawn too well. Yeah, the- Sorry. I do have to say the sharks so, might have been the I best just, part. Like, it's well written. So I literally just skipped Greg it. Greg Pat's like, a really flip, good flip. writer. <laughs> and and he, he wrote what he he wrote this story really well and and shane davis drew the story really well but i just don't fucking care and it just hurts because every book is the same (laughs) it's just commandy gets out of some crazy shit some more crazy shit happens and then at the end of it he's moving on to more crazy shit that will loosely tie to the previous crazy shit and he might talk about other crazy shit that he already experienced Sounds like you're giving the pitch meeting for this uh, series. And I'm going to have a different guy do it every time. And I'm going to have fucking sharks and fucking lions and laser beams. beams. And he's going to have... 
and it plants. It was dogs. Oh, God. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, I think the thing you need to ask yourself for this book is, do you think having sharks with machine guns and mohawks fighting people would be awesome or really do stupid? Do you like coherent plots? No. If you're 14, it's fucking or terrifying. awesome. terrifying. Terrifying is also a complete legitimate <laughs> For those of you who don't like sharks. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just done, and Jack Kirby's rolling over in his fucking grave. I feel that way, too. I think he would really like this. Maybe if it was really high. Yeah, there's a lot of... Maybe it's because I don't take drugs. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) That I'm not going to lie. That would help with this. Uh. (laughs) And the next book, I'm sure we're going to do because fucking Walt Simonson draws the fucking thing. God damn it. There will be more animals. He'll probably make out with some of them. Again, I called dibs on not this. <laughs> You're like not it. <laughs> I am not, not it. fucking it, man. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> you got to speak up when we ask who wants what book, oh, man. I'm sorry, I was fucking fixing software. <laughs> Hit and miss. <laughs> All right, <laughs> well, let's rate it then. <laughs> if this was me, it would have my summary would have been sharks. Nope. I, I, who else wants to cover this? Sharks. Fuck that noise. <laughs> All right. Table flip. <laughs> I'm going to give it two. Uh, no, okay, I'll give it three because the art's good and it's technically written well. I just, I'm done. I want to get off. <laughs> get, just pull the car over, please. <laughs> I will give it three. Ah, but you see, I'm the commander. All hail, all hail, all hail. Damn you! That's what I was, that's what I was going to take, <laughs> son of a bitch. So I'm going to go for the shark who has thug tattooed across his forehead and a little black teardrop uh, tattoo on the side of his face, chanting blood, blood, blood. So for me, it gets three blood, blood, blood. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to give it uh, this. I love this too. Today you ride with the sharks. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking blasting the machine. Uh, (laughs) I'm giving it two and a half. It all seems so ridiculous. Now. Yeah, you don't think it's say. <laughs> That's some straight truth that is, right there. Uh, really, that sums up the whole oh series. Oh my god. That is. And that's straight up off of a panel. I kid you That not. is. They knew. They knew. Oh. Alright. Well, let's take us over to the merch table, Christina. Merch. Shit I like to buy. I mean, uh, what? We like, we like cool comic-related stuff, and here's some things we think you might like. So this week, it was announced that there is going to be a additional pack to Injustice 2. So if you haven't bought that, I would suggest you buy that, because I'm buying it for this reason. There is a fighter pack that's coming out on November 14th with Hellboy. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. But I'm going to fucking kick every motherfucking DC ass with Hellboy. That's <laughs> Only the reason to play Injustice 2. My girl. <laughs> no. Both oh, Injustice and Injustice no, 2 are really good games. I did love Injustice. Well, fucking I did love the first game. Off. That was really, really fun. Yeah, it's still fun. I Super like fighting fun. games. But Hellboy, no, I know. you, Mr. Yes. I love the Hellboy man. part. Yes. I fucking hate Injustice. I'm like, why don't you just do this? How about this? How about we have the superheroes fight the supervillains? Yep. Fucking Ooh. Raiden's in it. It's because it's it. Mortal Kombat with fucking Justice League skins. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I it's rad. And I fucking love it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, also announced this week was one of our favorite comics is finally doing Funko Pops for Saga. You will be able to get your very, very yes. own Lion Cat Funko Pop. Uh, it's coming out in February t- 2018. There's no exact date, but they're going to start releasing them in February 2018. And there's going to be some special ones like the uh, the pink Lion Cat. Isabel. Space Ghost. Isabel too. Oh, and Isabel. It's the Will. <laughs> well, yes, she's a Space Ghost. Yes. It's the will. the will. And bloody version yeah, of the will. it's the bloody. Um, and unfortunately, no guts. That's fucked up. That'll probably be in the next series. Oh, just get a porg. But he has I, just get a porg though. and repaint it. True. And repaint it. True. True. Uh, and lastly, this came out actually probably a couple of weeks now, and I still haven't ordered my sweatshirt, but uh, Run the Jewels came out with a compilation of Marvel merchandise. They have a Howard the Duck sweatshirt, which is exactly what I want. It is the awesome, the recent series of Howard the Duck. Uh, also, Punisher and Deadpool shit. You got shirts, keychains, sweatshirts, yes. posters, and hats. So, enjoy. Happy shopping. Nice. The only problem with that Howard one is that it doesn't have pockets oh, on it. Oh, pockets and... Oh, no. Or Shock It. Oh, Shock It and Linda? No, no Shock It. <laughs> Shock it and Linda. Sorry, I, pockets and shrubs are the That's other ones. That's the other one. <laughs> 
So we're going over to Marvel Comics for Amazing Spider-Man number 790, The Fall of Parker Part 2, written by Dan Slott, pencils by Stuart Eminen, inks by Wade Von Grabadger, and colors by Marta Gracia. So Peter is taking responsibility for all the harm that's been caused from the fall of Parker Industries and going on what's basically an apology circuit bringing in his board of directors, his employees, and apologizing to them. And as part of this attempt to make his employees and shareholders financially whole from the collapse, he's selling the headquarters of Park Industries, which is the old Baxter building, to Harry Osborn. And Johnny Storm is flaming pissed at this. And he starts brawling. Just flaming. Huh? <laughs> Just flaming. <laughs> he starts brawling with Peter because Peter promised him that he was going to take care of the Baxter building, and now he's selling it off. And in the middle of their brawling, there's a... He's not really a supervillain. He's more like a disgruntled super genius who's trying to steal back his technology from Parker Industries. And he gets involved in their brawl, and they're, like, punching the way through walls and knocking things over, and they set off this machine that's going to, like, destroy Manhattan... And then they all have to work together using each of their superpowers to solve the problem. Like the Human Torch is doing like super welding. And it's kind of cool the way that they all come together and put aside their differences to save people at the end. Because they have great power and with that great power comes great responsibility. And I feel this is a really good issue to show that. Instead of rather than just always telling you about it to show you what that actually means. That Peter is trying to take responsibility for what he's done both with his corporation and also in the middle of this battle that he's willing to put aside his personal grudges and save people. And he, everyone in that battle is. And if you like Peter, you know he and the Human Torch have been friends for a long time and have this relationship that goes back through every, all the course that friendships take. So it was really neat to see them brawling with each other and then, you know, coming to an agreement at the end. So I really liked it. What'd you guys think of it? I like the, the first one of the... No, I feel about Spider-Man kind of like how you guys feel about Superman. Uh, He's okay, I guess. <laughs> I, I love Spider-Man. I liked the the part one of this a lot better than the part two. Yeah, I, agree. It, I mean it was go- it was good. Um, I, the artwork on Johnny Storm, that one panel where at the bottom where it, it's flaming up, was pretty awesome. I liked that one a lot. There's some good art in here. I enjoyed that part. Story was okay. What? Is, who's the guy? Did they have a name for that guy? Who's the new sort of villainy guy? I know they said his actual name. Uh, yeah, he's from the previous run of Spider-Man when they had Park Industries going. Okay, I didn't read that. I know they said his name was Clayton, but I didn't know if they had a superhero. Clayton Crane. Clash. I like the artwork. Um, yeah, this wasn't as entertaining as the, um, the issue before. Which was kind of sad. Um, and I just was thought, like, that's a super dick move about the Baxter. It is, because, I, I mean, Johnny has a point. He quotes back to him exactly what he said when he took over the Baxter building, which is why they didn't fight him on it, that he was going to, like, make it, like, a shrine to their legacy and all that kind of stuff. And then it's like, he's selling it off, you know? So I thought there were cute little mini panels here where he's being like the friendly neighborhood spider and, you know, getting like cats out of trees and helping old ladies across the street, like that kind of stuff, because it's easier than dealing with his real life problems. I thought that was, well, that was cute. Well, he's also kind of flipped. Instead of everybody hating Spider-Man and, and people liking Peter Parker, everybody hates Peter Parker, but they like Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 I thought that too. I also thought it was pretty, I, I kind of called it in the last issue, Mike, I knew they were going to make him like a science, Editor. like yeah. fact checker person yeah i thought this one was really enjoyable i i am glad that i have a spider-man comic that i can read now with peter parker that's pretty decent i felt it was competently done i just i don't care about <laughs> spider-man so i'm like yes. it wasn't bad it just i don't care i haven't cared about peter parker in a long time so i think i'm so happy to get back to a peter parker i can care about who's somewhat normal and not like there's not like 30 different spider yeah. people and they do the thing I like in art. They do the motion through panels, which you're always going to get me in a spider book when you do that. So Johnny Storm, like you said, looked pretty rad in this. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yes, yeah. So it was good. pretty good. I think. Here we go. I will give it four. You can't let it go for five minutes. I will give it three and a half. Hello, Peter Parker here. Who is this and how have I ruined your life? <laughs> I will give it a uh, three and a half. Fun's over. Back to being Pooh Head Parker. <laughs> that graffiti was <laughs> funny. I love that. <laughs> Uh, I'm using poo in a lot of my ratings apparently this week (laughs) I gave it three and three quarters bring it matchstick (laughs) oh it's brought (laughs) (laughs) alright oh into space 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 from image comics saga number 48 written by Brian K. Vaughn art by Fiona Staples the cunning adventures of Gus (laughs) (laughs) 
So, the cutest guy. So like the the cutest. So Friendo, Friendo. or however you say his name, Friendo. <laughs> Is being threatened to be eaten by the aqua person who I never really cared about. And because they're starving on that planet they were left on, Kid Squire. Robot is like, I, I, I want to call him Kid Robot, <laughs> damn it. It's a. I, yeah. <laughs> I know his Robot's name is Squire, but I'm going to call him Kid Robot. Yep. It's also a toy <laughs> reference company. But, anyways, God, I digress. They're starving. And so if they're starving, it brings them to adventure. They go out to hunt a creature that isn't invisible, but the robot can see it. And it's against the rules, but they go anyways. And the robot learns that it can't kill. But And Gus is afraid that he's going to have to slay up his walrus friend for their good eatings. But they don't because Alana and the crew return and there's a reunion. And the there's a very cute overarc lesson, you know, with Hazel's commentary, like we always get, and how she considers Kid Robot squire her brother in the future and how you know sometimes you know the rules are in place but rules are meant to be broken but while you're breaking the rules you learn that those rules were in place for a reason and that but it's okay to break them because adventure is good too and you learn something from that so it was a cute one-off and had a nice little lesson and i i enjoyed it I think this was... Gus, how can you not like it? It's so cute. I know, right? (laughs) He's so cute. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Gus is pretty awesome. I think this is a really strong standalone issue of Saga. Like, I don't think you really need to know that much about Saga to enjoy this issue. Like, it doesn't seem to tie too much into the other ones. It seems pretty self-contained as the story goes and Gus is amazing he is so adorable but you also get kind of the more details about him he becomes more like a fully fleshed out character here you know so I, I enjoyed this one a lot I thought the monster was creepy when he couldn't see it but then you would get panels where the other person was seeing it that was cool Matt Gus got thrown against a tree I thought it was good but there really wasn't any space ghosts in it so <laughs> there's no yeah, more space ghosts it needed more space ghosts but it had a porn no they referred to him as the fat the one fat right one? <laughs> They, yeah, they say the fat one's going to return and, and kill us. And see, I think you and Christina are getting your your references mixed up because there is an actual space ghost who was in this series, Matt, before you started reading it. Yeah. Uh, that's not who he's referring to. He's referring to the fact that the whale dresses Whoa. like the space ghost. Exactly like space oh, ghost. Oh, I literally thought he was talking about the space ghost. Which the, was, the rocker yeah, chick, okay, yeah. I've read six issues of this yes. series. Oh. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just I have so much shit to do and I haven't, like, I'm like, do I read Runaways or do I read saga <laughs> it is a saga hence the name but do you it's feel now. matt that this one stood uh more uh, more of a standalone issue than this the others is definitely a standalone issue it's really good you don't need to really know the characters at all to enjoy this book uh the art's fantastic the writing is really good it's kudos i adore the squire's screen thing because since he doesn't have a lot of experiences his are more like kid drawings and like stuff like that so when he sees the monster he gets the kind of like it reminds me of metal girl solid the huh? <laughs> little thing on his screen oh they're cute warning. yeah all, i like they're his all little, sketchy his drawing the uh, little lightning yeah, when he was sad. Yeah, but those were cute. It's a neat uh, comparison. And of course, the winning panel f- as tribute to Fiona Staples artwork is the thing standing behind Gus and him going, you okay? Oh, where yeah. it's all just his like guts and like nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the things that you don't normally see. Yep. Which he is so good drawing. Yes. Right, I'm going to give this four and a half. Your aim looks true. I'm going to give it or have you ever killed someone? Because that's a. I will give it four and a quarter. Boys are weird. Be nice, dear, though you're not wrong. <laughs> I will give it for the not Scott your chopper. Yeah. Chopper. All right. Kung Fu. Fujitsu. Uh, from Aftershock Comics. Fujitsu, number two. Curse of the Atomic Katana, part two, written by Jai Neitz. Pencils and ink by West St. Clair. Colors by Maria Santa... Oh, my God. Santa Dalala? Santa Olala. Santa Olala? So, this... <laughs> I think I finally figured out exactly what this comic book reminds me of is the venture brothers mm. for the for the pure for the reason that the the robot rachel reminds me of Molotov cocktees i can see that if anyone watched that yes. that's what it reminds me of a lot of it um so this the story is we've got the guy who has the atomic katana he's basically now making the <laughs> the president which that looks like George Bush? I thought it looked more like, no, um, oh, who's the Keebler elf? Jeff Sessions. The administration? Oh! Jeff Sessions. Yeah. He kind of looks yeah. like Jeff Sessions. So Orrin Hatch is a real person. Yes. I can see that. 
But he looked. It's, it's You'd have to compare the actual orange hat. Oh, no, it's <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, apparently he's the forty-sixth president, and he surrenders to uh, to our our villain uh, Robert Ludlow, and it looks like basically everybody else is like surrendering. Every other country is surrendering, so everyone's going. It's except for Israel, which was go Israel. Um, so his last last thing that he needs to get is, of course, Fujitsu. Uh, we have Rachel and... I think, hold on a second. Sorry, my thing is all fucked up. There we go. Okay, sorry. Fujitsu and Rachel are discussing you know, what they're going to do about it, and he's basically like, well, what, do you, what are you talking about this we thing here? Like, you, you were, you know, you were, you were gone. It, what was it? You left me. It was... He had, he has like the exact amount of days, like down to the month and the time. So obviously he's not been thinking about this at all. It's totally over her. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah totally over. Her. Uh, I love he gets in his 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 little. He's got his little cute little like safari outfit with his little hat, and then like she she's obviously very um, wearing her her out her sexy outfit. So not inconspicuous at all. But she has since she can holograph her own clothes. I like that. Um, he is, he's installed a category, like a bunch of, you know, catalog of clothes. And <laughs> he's got like her safari outfit. It's basically, basically the fisherman outfit from, from Jaws. <laughs> Just like, Oh, okay. That's cool. So she transforms into that. Uh, what they're, what they're planning on doing is it looks like they're going to try to get his, he's got a bunch of technology that he's made. And so they're going to go try and, and get it. Cause they're going to, obviously try to stop Robert Wadlow from doing all of his devious deeds. Uh, they go to this place in Pasadena and it is totally like, there's no way they're going to get in. There's tons of, you know, military. They're obviously, this is, this is not going to happen. So I like the little panel where they shut the little dog and it's, it's like in his head, he's like, Japan, we're, we're going to Japan. Like, okay, we, we're not, we're not going here anymore. Uh, my favorite panel is, our villain has obviously this horrible crew of baddies that he's sending after Fujitsu. Um, Baron von Munchausen <laughs> might be one of my juggler, favorites. Juggler, and juggler. then alt-right hook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they're the, <laughs> the oddest group of super villains. It was like the tick super Yeah, villains, very much. Seriously. Like the, just the baddest of bad badly named um, super villains who he's sending after them. So Fujitsu and Rachel get to the, this Japanese, you know, science building where it's basically they have a Gundam. Yeah. V little Montana and everything. I know. I was like, it is exactly like, it's got the little, you know, spikes coming out of the head. I was like, okay, so this is, this is, this is where we're going with this. Um, and you know, they're getting it, it looks like they're kind of getting it ready to, to go. And all of a sudden there's a, you know, break in by the juggler, juggalo, jugglos, all the, all their bat, batty characters that we saw on the previous panel. And, um, they have to, you know, protect the warbot at all costs. So they're going in, they're going and it's, it's a lot of punching and kicking and blasting and bad puns, uh, like the stink schnitzel and all that kind of stuff. And he's, Fujitsu is, you know, channeling his super, like, super energy. And, you know, he's he's blasting at them. And he blasts open, like, it looks like almost like a portal in the wall. And then all of a sudden, a almost identical version of him comes through and kicks him directly in the face. <laughs> and so now he's fighting himself and fighting the other guys. And they take Rachel. This other guy's gone. He's knocked out. And at the end, my, my favorite line is, he's like, oh shit, you know, I, I gotta trust myself, I gotta, you know, I gotta fix this shit, but fuck that guy, fuck the, you know, the atomic katana can kiss my ass, and I, or, well, he didn't say ass, but, yeah, it's kiss, kiss my Damn ass. Damn it. So, that was, that, that was, was gonna be my vote. <laughs> yeah, I know, that was gonna be mine too, so. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can take it. <laughs> so it's just yet again another silly crazy ride of shenanigans so what did you guys think i preferred the first one more to this i thought this one was still pretty entertaining but i don't think not as nearly as like 
quippy, I guess, or fast paces. I don't know. I like the first one better than yeah. this one, but this one was still okay. Um, it's still really like kind of lighthearted and interesting in a way, like the, their world that they're building. And I like a lot of the references that they have. Yeah, on. I liked the first one better as well, but this one was still pretty entertaining. It's, you know, I think the first one maybe was a little more fast paced. So the ridiculousness kind of flew past mm-hmm. you before you could really process it too much. You just enjoyed the ride. And here I think they're slowing down uh, a yeah. little bit. So it was still pretty good, though. I liked it. There were some there were some pages I could have cut out that would still have made sense to the story. It seems to be fairly sticking and stuff like this could be happening in a different like different locations in the same universe as the tick. And I really think that they mm-hmm. need to team up. I, I would think that would fit awesome. really well. That'd be awesome. That would be yeah. fucking epic. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I guess I have to read it now. So since I already dropped the other one, I'm not going to use that one. But I will use, um, I will give it uh, three and a, three quarters. You built me to be a lamp. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I, I, I like that interchange. I gave it three. I was the basis for Hal. Go ahead, Matt. All right. Uh, it's actually the section right before that one. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Arthur C. Clarke, you don't believe in magic? The C stood for copycat. Every time we did something together, he wrote a book about it. <laughs> I knew you were going to like that because we brought that. that up recently in a different podcast. This one reminds me a lot of Atomic Robo as well, if you're familiar with that series. This is a little more zany, but it kind of has that same sense of adventure to it. I will give it three Baron Von, blah, three Baron Von Punchhausens. That's intimidating. <laughs> Jeez, three Baron Von <laughs> Punchhausens. <laughs> I couldn't handle that. What I can handle though. Those pu- I, those names as puns were pretty fucking <laughs> funny. Yeah. All right, let's head over to the end of the world with from Dark Horse Comics. We've got BPRD, the Devil You Know, number three, written by Mike Mignola and Scott Alley, pencils and inks by Lawrence Campbell. Colors by Dave Stewart. The the Devil You Know is about living on after the end of the world. It's a tale as much about PTSD as it is about the BPRD. Everything changed when the world went to hell. A lot of lives were lost, including some core members of the team. Most of this book is told from the perspective of Liz Sherman and Abe Sapien as they go for a walk and then talk about the status of everything throughout the world. They're kind of playing catch-up. A lot of the story is told through the eyes of the characters. If you look throughout the book, you can see like the mental state of several different characters and the ones that they talk about while they're walking. Um, about all the, the horrors that they've been through and the world of horror that they're just currently in. Like Nothing is okay anymore. Uh, everything's fucked, basically. Uh, the Mignola universe is really thick and complex, um, and I, I think this is meant to be the final arc from what I've read from what Mignola says. He's kind of done with the universe. But if you if you don't want to go back and have to read 200 books, I would suggest jumping in right here, because I think this book is kind of like, a okay, this is where everything's at right now. Everything's fucked, but every, here's the people who are alive. If anybody references these characters, they're fucking dead. So this is kind of a good place to start if you want to just watch the rest of the ride until it finishes up uh, the, the entirety of the BPRD madness. It, it's got some moments that are really kind of chilling. If you look into the eyes, they're drawn really well, but they're you can tell these people are fucked in the head. Basically, nothing is ever going to be okay. What do you guys think? Um, I think that this book manages to combine both confusing and boring together in one book. I thought it was extremely, extremely boring. Like, nothing happens in the book. It was very complex, what they were talking about, and requires a lot of back history. The previous two, The Devil You Know 1 and 2, were pretty fucking good. And this one seems like a wild diversion from that story. Like, it feels like somebody just, like threw like the car into reverse while you were driving along and now we're just like spinning out. I did I was not a big fan of this one. I think the more you're into BPRD, maybe the more you would like this. Um because there is a lot of character stuff going on in here, but I, I was not a fan of this one. I don't think it moved the current story forward very much. It felt like a summary. I thought the conversation between Liz and Abe was actually really interesting. Mostly especially the personal stuff more like their opinion, like not really so much the stuff about the plot or the end of the world, but more the interpersonal relationship conversation between them. I really did like that. And then the scene with the creepy little pinafore girl still at the end is <laughs> entertaining to me because I just like, I enjoy her creep factor. Yeah, I like, I, I agree with the personal conversation between 
between the two of them. I That was the part that I probably, I read a couple times to make sure I kind of caught everything. So that was the part I, I enjoyed the much. But yeah, if we got that creepy. God, seriously. Anytime you see like a little kid, blonde kid, shoot him right in the head. <laughs> I in creepy clothes, looking creepy. Fine, just shoot it right in the head. Don't ask questions. Just shoot in the head. You know it's possessed by the devil. Just shoot it directly in the head. <laughs> like head on? Yeah. Apply directly to the forehead. Yep. If you hear a yep. small child alone at night <laughs> exactly. singing a nursery rhyme, shoot it and burn yep. it. Yep. Just shoot it in the head. Especially burn it from the body. Children. Detach head from body. Make sure you do that. <laughs> piss on the what ground no, there's a there's a mem it's like there's nothing that brings oh like joy like the laughter of a child <laughs> yeah except for when it's in the middle of the night and you don't have children <laughs> yep. i will admit this is not the best issue of bprd but i think it was a good solid what it is book which is it's supposed to be a summary and they do these throughout BPRD. They'll have books where nothing really much happens, but it's a it's kind of a catch-up book. But yeah, BPRD, especially at this point, is for people who've been reading BPRD. But I still think you could pick up from here and go without really having to care too much. But I'm going to give it three and a half. What will Devlin think? He still thinks you're the Antichrist. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I'm going to give it two and a quarter if i had a body i would shudder for emphasis i will i like that one i, was I will give it one. to mom i found someone to play with the same pa- wow, same page going the same i'm gonna give it three tut tut does he sleep tap, tap. all right we're gonna go back over for some more legacy from marvel comics we have captain marvel number 125 dark origins part one written by marguerite stoll pencils and inks by michelle bandini colors by eric arsenagia so after the events of secret empire Alpha Flight has had their space station destroyed, their spaceships destroyed, and they've been put on leave. Some of the team members enjoy their time off, uh, but Carol Danvers, the boss of space, isn't one to take vacations. So she uses the time to go around and start trying to find, basically, ships for them to get back into space so they can get back up with Alpha Flight up to where they belong and try and find her Kree friend that was lost in the last Captain Marvel arc. Uh, the garage of the ship is being assembled, is assaulted by the shape-shifting alien, and then an intergalactic sort of super-mystery is underway as there's punching and flying in space. Captain Marvel takes off after the alien, because she can fly, you know, so she takes off into space chasing him, and then the ship, like, plane shuttle thing that they've got kind of comes out after her, because um, they've repaired it at this point. I did really enjoy uh, when they were firing with the lasers, the little pew-pew sound effects from the lasers firing. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cute. <laughs> So there's a space battle. There's this huge explosion that kind of, I think, opens up like a wormhole type thing and sucks Captain Marvel through it. So she's gone at the end of this issue. So there are a couple things I thought about this issue, which is very similar to Black Panther, as I don't really feel like this was a did what a legacy book is supposed to do. We're very clearly uh-huh. in the middle of the a story that's happened. That this is not taking Captain Marvel back to her roots or origins so that you know new readers can jump in this is the continuation of the story so i think tanahisi coates and Marguerite stall were both like fuck you we're still doing our story you can put legacy on the cover if you want don't really care so tough titties but they they give you a little bit in the back yeah the last like three pages they always, yeah they always do that they for you, the legacy books yeah where she's talking about There's how it. she always <laughs> wanted to be a pilot you but you know all that stuff yeah but yeah. the actual story itself, I don't think fits in well with that. It's good. Like, there are parts with Alpha Flight that are really funny with uh, Sasquatch and Puck where they go to, like, the ball game to the all-you-can-eat section and get kicked out. I thought that was pretty funny. The stuff yep. with Brand going to the day spa, that was funny. Like, there, <laughs> there are parts in here that are really good, like, character-building stuff. <laughs> and it's good. It just doesn't feel like an intro to Captain Marvel. So, if you've been reading Captain Marvel, shit, keep reading it because it's pretty good. If you're looking to jump in on Captain Marvel, I don't know if this is the space for you to do that. What'd you guys think? Uh, I agree with that as well. If, if you have no, if you haven't li- watched or read any of the last series with her and Alpha Flight, this will make zero sense. This this should not. Same with the other book. It should not be. It should not be what it should be an intro to the character. Right. I, yeah. It's good though. Besides that, I. But still, I mean, I love the part where she's actually sleeping in the <laughs> in the room on the floor with all the the toys turned around, and the, there's a Captain America. Toy yeah, she's on the at floor. Jessica's uh, apartment in the baby room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty cute. And there's a, there's a big Spider Man poster on there, so it's it's nice that it's even though it's still a uh, Spider Woman, she's like, okay, you can have all these superhero <laughs> stuff anyway, I guess, but not of me. <laughs> See, the the whole stated purpose of Legacy was to get all the characters back to 
basically their roots and what everybody loves about the characters. I don't think that they should really change Captain Marvel because if they took her back literally, like, if they're really literal about it and they took her back to, like, early 80s Captain Marvel, no one would read the book. Right, but... I think she's just recently gotten good. So I don't, I don't think Legacy's meant to be, like, a jumping off point to, like, start over. But the Legacy book should not be the continuation of what was the issue before when it wasn't a Legacy book. Yeah, the problem with that is that Marvel is really bad about editorial control. They never plan things well. DC does the same fucking thing. They're, they're like, oh, what? You have a 20-issue arc going on? Well, fuck you. I'm doing an event. Right. <laughs> they never – like, they don't tell them, look, you have to finish this up. I'm sorry you're cutting it short. They 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 generally will let them run out, and then we end up going, wait, when the fuck has this happened? Because this guy just died in a different book, you know? And, and that's just – it's, it's kind of hard to do. I think maybe if they weren't marketing this so much – it might have been better to hold off the legacy thing and let him finish like this issue maybe because it seems like she's going to be starting yeah. something else in the next one like done do legacy at 126 but it's 125 and you're going to want to have that number yeah i don't know i don't know it was good and, and she feels like there's team yeah. captain marvel yes it's like watching arrow or flash in, in like the middle of the book when they're all like doing their yeah things. well she's got both alpha flight she's got the carol cadets i mean she's got her people around her definitely Team she's space. the boss of space she's amazing i love her so much my amazing place so civil war all the guardians were asked was a motherfucking ship and carol's like oh no we don't have anything we can't find anything in like it, less than two days she finds a ship for her people but it's not space. capable it's like, of it's hell? not capable of intergalactic <laughs> travel though it's just a, it's just a modified space it's capable shuttle. enough what pissed me off give it to rocket he could have done no something. what pissed me off and about this, right. and they fucking pick up a space shuttle in the in the book you're referencing back to. There's a whole fucking like shipyard of broken ships. They eventually that rocket. They don't yeah. take them there. <laughs> exactly. It's like discrepancies. Hello, but also this book was seriously lacking more brand because I love her. She's in my top five of like <laughs> female comic book characters. I like more brand, please. She is she is pretty good for the kind of cynical one-liners she's she's good at that i will give it three and a half pew pew you had to find that <laughs> a lot of pew pews <laughs> i was like wait a minute there's a lot of we'll pew pews in there we're like, no, no, I'm yeah. mine was the one from panel seven on <laughs> you can yeah that's my review three and a half pew pew <laughs> so awesome and cute i gave it three and a half i will when i'm not letting fish eat the dead skin off Ugh. my feet Oh, <laughs> that shit freaks me the fuck out. I don't right? know how people do that. I would literally punch a fish. Actually, oh, a man, fish. I meant to use the. Oh, I meant to use the chakra. Now your chakras are never going to be aligned. <laughs> I thought about using that one too. Yeah, now her chakras are never going to be aligned. I like that one too. I also like. We'll be at the all you can eat bleachers above right field. That was that will be mine, and I will give it a three. We'll be in the all-you-can-eat bleachers above right the field. I will give it three. Jonesy, hello, that's me, and now I'm you. Even in Espinoza, even fellow guard. <laughs> that was a pretty fun shapeshifter alien. And now for another cunning, exciting, or something adventure game of full pass or complain on the internet. Exciting. From Archie Comics, Jughead, The Hunger Number 1, Run Like a Wolf Part 1, written by Frank Terry and pencils by Tim Kennedy and inks by Pat Kennedy. Colors by Matt Herms. 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 I was right the first time. I said it right the first time. (laughs) This is a pool. I like the first one and I like the werewolves. The werewolves are drawn good. And so, yeah, you should pick this up. I also say pull this one. I didn't read it. Make your own choices. <laughs> Do good things. Sorry, I said pull. Uh, I thought I thought this was really good. I thought it lived up to the the one shot that they did. Um, so I think it worked. From DC Comics, Batman the Merciless number one, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Francis Manapool. I'm gonna pass on this. I will pull it. I will pull it. <laughs> I will complain about it on the internet. Oh, oh, because. Everybody knows Ares has a fucking horrible huge mustache, and there was no horrible huge mustache in this. <laughs> no. If your what only complaint is the mustache, I up- think that's not too bad. <laughs> Instead, go pick up Big Trouble in Little China or Jean Grey. <laughs> <laughs> so, books that we know we're going to be reading next week. We have Captain America number 695, Avengers number 693, Guardians of the Galaxy number 146, Spider-Man number 234, 
Dead Man number one. And then for this segment, we'll be covering most likely Jetsons number one and Batman the Devastator number one. Plus whatever else we decide to throw in that catches our interest that week. So that was the world of comics for this week. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast on original streaming media. Cut the cord at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.